Welcome to Inside Scope, the American Gastroenterological Association podcast that will help you advance your patient care one half hour segment at a time. Join us to hear from the experts, learn new skills, and stay abreast of changing best practices. We'll be tackling a different topic each month, so make sure to subscribe and join us on our mission to improve digestive health for all. Welcome, everyone, to this season of the AGA's Inside Scope podcast entitled Colorectal Cancer, Screening to Save Lives. In this season, we will talk to gastroenterologists and primary care physicians to break down the recent updates from the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force on colon cancer screening and colon cancer screening in high-risk groups and addressing some of the unique challenges for various populations. Our goal is to help healthcare providers understand how they can help reduce the incidence and mortality of colorectal cancer. I'm David Lieberman. I'm a professor of medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at Oregon Health and Science University. Hello, everyone. I'm Chaik Darbeni. I'm a professor of family medicine and the chief health equity officer for the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center and as social director for diversity, equity, and inclusion for the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center here in Columbus, Ohio. So Chaik and I are your hosts for this five-episode season, and this season is supported by an independent medical education grant from Exact Sciences. In this episode, Chaik and I are talking about what you need to know about updated information about coverage, cost-sharing, reimbursement, and coding for colorectal cancer screening. Our guest today is Dr. Siobhan Mehta, who's the Assistant Professor of Medicine and Health Policy at the Perlman School of Medicine and Associate Chief Innovation Officer at Penn Medicine Center for Innovation. It's really a pleasure to have you with us today, Siobhan. Thank you so much for having me today. So I thought we might want to begin by just bringing our listeners up to date about what the intent of the Affordable Care Act was since it was passed so long ago. And perhaps you could share with us what was intended in terms of uh, cost sharing for preventive health activities. Sure. So when the Affordable Care Act was implemented in 2010, there was actually a lot of different policies involved. It wasn't just one policy. And one aspect that's important for us gastroenterologists was focused specifically on cost sharing for preventive procedures. And so what they recommended was that, uh, and they mandated, was that all preventive activities recommended by the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force should not have cost sharing for the patient. And the idea here is something called value-based insurance design. So the idea is that for things that are high value and really important from a health prevention standpoint, patients shouldn't pay any cost sharing because there shouldn't be any barriers to them to actually follow through on these really important activities. And so this was a a landmark legislation for us gastroenterologists, and I think everybody was really excited about it. But we also realized that how this act was implemented has a lot to do with how it impacts patient care. And David, this is really very, very important act that changes the way healthcare is made available. And I will share that one of the things, and and Siobhan and I have had the chance to work together on many of these, is the Balanced Budget Act, because that one, in a way back when, 
had these provisions around colon cancer screening that kind of stuck around even after the ACA was was passed in the law. So really, it's been interesting, and I'm sure we'll come to that topic in terms of colonoscopy coverage later. Chad, perhaps you and Siobhan could comment about what's happened in reality. I mean, you've done some landmark studies showing the impact of cost sharing when it does occur on on screening efforts. And I wonder if you could comment on that. And and Siobhan, you could comment on, on the actual implementation of the Affordable Care Act and whether that left us with some loopholes. Yeah. So, you know, I think what we've learned is that patients do respond to cost sharing. So if cost sharing goes up, they may not want to follow through with certain activities. As cost sharing goes down, it could make it easier for patients to follow through, particularly as we have a lot more high deductible plans where patients and families have to bear a lot more of the burden in terms of cost of some of these procedures, particularly for things like colonoscopy, which have a non-trivial cost to it. But what I learned many years ago in one study was that it took a while for this to be implemented. So many insurance plans were grandfathered, which means that unless they changed benefit design, they didn't actually have to follow through on this for a few years afterwards. And so while people were thinking, oh, now I don't have to have cost sharing for these things, when they actually went through to get these procedures done, depending on which plan they had, and the reality is that there's so many plans out there, it's actually really hard for anyone to keep track of what's covered and what's not. Many patients still had cost sharing. And so First was a grandfathered issue. And second was how they interpreted this law. And they interpreted it as though if you do a colonoscopy and it's negative, that's preventive. If you do a colonoscopy and the gastroenterologist takes out a polyp, then that was not initially coded as preventive. And we as gastroenterologists know that polypectomy is, is a key and critical part of this procedure. It wouldn't be the same screening procedure if we couldn't take out polyps when we saw them. That's the whole point of this. And so it took a lot of advocacy to explain to the government and policymakers that that's a core part of the procedure. But it takes some time for all of those things to be implemented because of a variety of different federal rules. Thank you for really clearly explaining that to our listeners. And the one key piece about this is that Medicare was somewhat exempt from this. So, and because of that, some insurance companies follow Medicare in, in how they implement their benefit structures, the benefit design. And so going back to the Balanced Budget Act, which was signed, I believe, in 1995 or 97, there was a provision there that said if you had a colonoscopy and it found a polyp, it is now diagnostic. And also for tests that follow a screening exam, like a positive FIT or fecal tests, that is diagnostic. And so the quandary here is that we do a two-step screening. And to David's point, we do these two-step screenings and someone is positive, the screening process is not done. And yet we found ourselves in primary care situations where now we are facing a diagnostic exam. And so it's really exciting that recently to your point, Chavan, that this has been reversed. We hope it, Medicare will also make that happen and we don't have to face these cost sharing. It makes no sense, does it? But uh, unfortunately, it's one of those things that our patients have to navigate and face. Yeah. And so, you know, from a, us as clinicians, we all know that it makes no sense. I wouldn't do a colonoscopy if I didn't have an opportunity to take out polyps while you're there, as opposed to having them come back to this procedure. And we wouldn't do a fit test if we, we weren't going to follow up with that positive test with a colonoscopy. That's the whole risk stratification process. 
But, but this is where clinical medicine has to get married with policy. And this is why it's so critical for us as gastroenterologists and physicians to advocate for the things that we think are really important for patients. And many of these things are well-meaning. It's not, it's not like people are trying to deny coverage to patients. It's just that there's so many policies out there and so many insurance companies and so many aspects of these things that they need us to inform them about what's important for the screening process. And check to, uh, to your point, what originally happened is that there was a lot of advocacy from the AGA, other gastroenterology organizations, other cancer prevention organizations basically saying that if you do a polypectomy, that should be considered preventive. And so the federal government was actually able to eliminate that for private insurance plans a few years ago. And they were able to do that with a, a federal statute. But because Medicare requires budget neutrality, which means that anytime there's a cost that goes up for Medicare, something else has to go down. And so because of that, the interpretation from the federal government and from CMS, which administers Medicare, their interpretation was that there has to be an act of Congress to basically eliminate that co-insurance that's been happening because it was very surprising that they were able to make these changes for commercial plans, but not for Medicare, which is administered by the government. So that's taken many years to, to come to fruition. And actually, you know, we're actually really excited that Congress passed the Removing Barriers to Colorectal Cancer Screening Act in 2020. And this was a bipartisan bill with lots of advocacy from lots of organizations, whether it's cancer, cancer prevention or GI organizations. And what this basically did is it eliminated the coinsurance loophole. However, because of the budget neutrality aspects of it, they couldn't do it right away. So it's being phased out in a gradual way until 2030. And so it starts now, it's already started. And over time, there's going to be a, a phase out. And so patients will still have some coinsurance, but over time, it's going to be eliminated by 2030, as long as physicians report the modifier PT, which uh, designates that it's a preventive test. Uh, but it is very exciting because it, it's taken a while to get here. Yeah, Siobhan, I had an opportunity to be part of that advocacy effort. And and I think it's a reminder that advocacy can be really powerful. And I think this, it really uh, moved the needle on this particular uh, piece of legislation. Could you comment a little about where we stand today in 2022 with patients who have a FIT test, not a colonoscopy initially, but a FIT test that is positive and therefore have an increased risk of colon cancer and knee colonoscopy? Where are we now with cost sharing in that situation. Yeah, and, and we know that it is really critical that these patients get colonoscopy. And so any barrier, even the research I do with behavioral science, we know that it all it takes is one step in the process to be difficult for patients, for them to say they can't do it and they can't follow through because patients have a lot of things going on in their life. And we know there's actually two big studies showing that if you delay diagnostic colonoscopy more than six to nine months after a positive fist test, patients can actually have higher mortality. And so it, that's why it is really important that we make sure that they follow through. And so what has historically happened is that often they will have that cost sharing. Some commercial plans were able to waive it, but this was another big win, I think, from a policy sphere, which is that in January of 2022, multiple federal agencies basically came together and they required private insurance plans to cover follow-up colonoscopies after positive non-invasive stool tests. This doesn't get implemented right away. And so it still is really important for physicians, practice staff, and patients to still check with their insurance company because there's so many insurance plans out there. It's very hard for anyone to keep track, to be honest. 
And then this does not apply to Medicare yet. So it's, it's something that there is some, some work that we have to do from an advocacy standpoint to make sure that with a lot more patients getting stool testing because of the pandemic, you know, there was a big aspect of it because of some supply issues related to endoscopy. And also because, you know, we all know the work that, you know, the three of us have done to advocate you know, while, while we really believe that screening colonoscopy is important and is really valuable, we would rather get a patient get any test done than no test at all. And so some kind of stool testing is important in the armamentarium for colorectal cancer screening. And so we need to make sure that whatever strategy the patient and the physician follow through on, there needs to be as few barriers as possible for patients to get the full benefit of it. So when Chike sees a patient in his primary care practice, and he dutifully performs fit testing and, and it's positive. And the patient says, okay, I need a colonoscopy, but is this going to cost me something, doctor? What should Chike say to that patient at this point? Yeah. The first question is if they have commercial or Medicare. With Medicare, probably there will be some cost sharing. With commercial plans, many of them don't have, have waived it or will not charge it, but they do have to check with their plans at this point in time. It's just the nature of our American healthcare system where we have lots of choices, which many of us enjoy, but it also means that there's a, a lot of different plans out there that all have sort of slightly different policies. And David, so the colonoscopy can still be done as a screening test. We discourage clinicians from ordering fit tests to see if the first fit test was actually truly positive. If it's positive, they need to have a diagnostic or follow-up colonoscopy. But there's nothing wrong with ordering a colonoscopy as a screening exam if it was positive. Uh, but, mm -hmm. you know, again, there are laws in here and we need to be sure that we stick within the rules of what's, what the regulations say. But what I will encourage physicians to do is to talk with the insurance company <laughs> providers for their patients and work with them because frequently when they understand the difference, will offer full coverage for the colonoscopy. What I do ask, Siobhan, maybe David, you come into this, is the issue around polyps, right? Surprise billing. And again, you talked about the sort of the silly way this, this has been interpreted, right? Why do you do a colonoscopy if you don't remove a polyp when you find it, right? That's what you're trying to do. But when you find a polyp, according to the Medicare diagnostic definition, that becomes a diagnostic procedure. Has that changed with the new laws? Yeah, it has. It has. And so when the polyp is removed, we can now code it with that PT modifier to designate that it's preventive. Now, there's still some coinsurance because it's going to be phased out over 10 years, but it's still better than it was before. And so I think that there's, there is some progress there um, in terms of from the patient perspective. Siobhan, can I ask you a somewhat different question? We, as you know, there's been an increase in what we call early onset colon cancer before age 50. The U.S. Preventive Services Task Force has now, as of 2021, recommended that we initiate uh, screening at age 45 for all individuals. Where are we going to be with insurance coverage for these 40 to 45 to 49-year-olds for whom screening is now recommended. Yeah, no, this is this is a huge policy change, you know, in terms of guidelines. And particularly when the USPSTF came out with those recommendations, because it's considered probably the most widely used of guidelines, but also it's tied to policy now. 
because of the Affordable Care Act, because they say the things that are covered by USPSF and because it is a category B recommendation, you know, which is the highest recommendation, the highest A and B recommendations from USPSF, it should be eventually covered with no cost sharing, just like screening colonoscopies for patients over the age of 50. Now, as with everything, it takes a few years to get implemented. <laughs> and so at this point in time, I do think that most insurance companies are covering, you know, we're seeing it in our own practices. They are covering screening for this age group, but it didn't happen right away. And, and we know some Medicaid plans are lagging. But what we know is that plans that have to provide the screening benefit to patients 45 and older for plan or policy years beginning on or after May 31st, 2022, and the mandate must take effect by January 1st, 2023. So while most plans have followed up with coverage and coverage with no cost sharing, by January 1st, 2023, we should expect that all plans should have that covered. That sounds terrific. Jake, did you have a comment? This is a really important point you made, Siobhan, about tax force recommendations and the link to coverage under the ACA. But it's also important, and as we know, some insurance companies were providing coverage for people 45 to 49 years of age, even prior to that recommendation, maybe in part because the American Cancer Society had made that recommendation change prior to the U.S. tax force making that recommendation. And yes, those recommendations that are A's or B's, gridded A's or B's, are covered without cost sharing by private insurance and I hope by Medicare as well. One important point about tax force recommendations is that although tax force recommends this age ranges or so, it doesn't prevent insurance companies from expanding coverage beyond those groups that are recommended by the tax force. And that, that was just a perfect example of how that has occurred because the evidence can take some time to kind of marinate and mature to the point where the tax force is comfortable giving that endorsement to an evidence-based procedure like colorectal cancer screening in this age group. So I really appreciated the point you made, and I just want to reinforce those two points. Well, Shavana, you've really helped clear up a lot of our understanding about how the Affordable Care Act fits into our practices and, and the changes that have, have occurred. Do you want to say a word about the importance of gastroenterologists and primary care providers advocating for coverage for their patients. Having been involved with this and, you know, with also with the two of you in various different capacities, it really is important for clinicians and gastroenterologists to be involved in this process. And it doesn't have to be lobbying to Congress, going to Washington. There's lots of subtle and very easy ways to get involved, whether it's on a local level we know that working with insurance companies, it's important to inform them of the importance of, let's say, follow-up diagnostic colonoscopy if people are positive, polypectomy, all these things that, that we know and we have evidence for to support, or even you know, screening for patients between the ages of 45 and 49. There's state policies that could absolutely impact things, particularly as it pertains to Medicaid. Medicaid has been a big area where a lot of advocacy has really been fruitful in making sure that our, you know, our Medicaid patients have access to these types of important life-saving procedures. And then, of course, on the federal level. And so there's a variety of different ways to be involved, whether it's in a very small scale or in a large scale. But policymakers need us to you know, inform them as experts. You know, we're the experts when it comes to gastroenterological care. And so I see this as an extension of my work in taking care of individual patients, but we also want to take care of all patients from a policy perspective. Chai, any other points that you would like to, to make today? 
No, I and uh, Shabian really appreciate the thoughtfulness and, and insights you're offering on this. You know, a good example is, uh, for instance, C5 in New York, and I know lots of work in other areas and communities across the country around local advocacy, advocacy in state governments and local areas, providing access to colonoscopy. Because, you know, without providing access to colonoscopy, you can't have any colon cancer screening program. And I think it's really important for us to underscore that. The best test is the one that gets done by the patients, but ultimately, without colonoscopy, all of this will fall short because you still have to have that follow-up colonoscopy. And so that's really an important point to, to make. And I think a local advocacy is important, organizing locally to look at how we can extend the benefits to our community, most of whom are on the resource. It's really critically important. Thank you. This is really important. Yeah. Well, Siobhan, I also want to thank you for walking us through this rather complex maze of regulations and providing some really clear guidelines for our listeners today. So again, on behalf of the AGA, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. And I want to thank all of our listeners for uh, joining us for this episode on updated information about coverage, cost sharing, reimbursement coding for colorectal cancer screening. Let me remind you that you can find all five episodes in this series, as well as more in-depth editorials, reference guides, and education materials on the AGA's website, which is gastro.org. Thanks for listening to Inside Scope, an official AGA podcast. Make sure to subscribe to be notified as we roll out new episodes. For more GI education, visit AGA University at agau.gastro.org.